Thank you for listening to the Alan Wright Sermons Podcast. I'm his son, Matthew, and we have been splitting up the sermons every other week at our house church that my wife and I host on our farm. If you're interested in joining us, check out wrightfarmhousechurch.com. Enjoy today's lesson. Okay, so last time, the last time that we were here, we were in 1 Samuel chapter 29, and we learned that God is, if you remember, we learned that God is working all the time, right? Even when the circumstances seem normal. That, that, that we, we told that, I told that story about how the guy was looking for God to save him on the top of the roof and the flood came in and he sent a helicopter and a boat and a kayak and he said, no, the Lord is going to save me. I know he is. And when he got to heaven, the Lord said, I did send help. You just didn't get into the boat. Right? And so I hope that during our, our absence, that our two-week absence, that you've seen God working in your life in ordinary and maybe even in extraordinary ways. So I'm going to tell a story. I'm going to tell you a story. When the boys um, were younger, I was in the military, and Colleen and, and I, we were both very good about being on the same page concerning biblical discipline. Um, when they needed a spanking, we would give them a spanking. And the boys were, the, the boys were always very boy-like in their, in their response to those. We, we never spanked out of anger, and they always knew what, they were being punished for, uh, but from a very young age, we were we were doling out corporal punishment <laughs> uh, to to them as as we determined that was necessary, right? And I was very good at it. And most of the time, if one of the boys got a spanking, they reacted like a boy does, um, stoic determination not to cry, you know, maybe a few tears. Uh, but many times that was because they were upset in their behavior and, and, and that more than it was just the small swat to a, that, that, that the pain that a small swat to the rear end can cause. Right. So and then five years after the youngest boy, uh, we received the surprise of our lives in God giving us a little girl. So as a father who had been used to raising three boys. Uh, three tough boys, I was completely, right, I was completely unprepared in how to deal with a sweet little girl that we nicknamed her Cricket in the womb because she was always kicking. So I said, her nickname's going to be Cricket, so we still call her Cricket. Um, And my disciplinary, I call it my disciplinary fortitude, fell off of a cliff, and and she had and still has me wrapped around um, my finger. I'll admit that. And so thank God I have a wife who knows how to corporally discipline a young lady and has, she has taught, Colleen has taught me a great deal in the past five years. But one day, it was a year or two ago, uh, my cricket was misbehaving in a way that deserved some amount of a spanking. And, and I told her so. I said, you're going to get spanking if you do that again. And I don't remember the details of the circumstances but her disobedience continued enough to where I decided it was time to flicker on the back of the leg. Okay, that was it. And it was barely a flick. I, it might have been a, I might have just done that, right? Nowhere close to the swats that I would give the boys, uh, these manly boys when they were that age. So my thought was that she would react to this feigned and nearly useless bum flick uh, in, in, in a different way, but instead she turned around, looked at me with the biggest alligator tears and wept miserably while she came and hugged me because I had flicked her. 
It was a completely unexpected response, okay, to me because it, it, I was used to how the boy. If I'd have done that to the boys, they would have been like, "Did something touch me? Or, <laughs> I, or did a fly land on me?" You know. So, but it was the unexpected response from her that I'll always remember. So, in our Bible study, um, here we are. And if you guys want to open up, if you have a Bible, to First uh, Samuel. Uh, where we, where we were in the last chapter, or you can go ahead and go to 2 Samuel chapter 1. But in our, in our Bible study, here we are in the day, we're in the day of Samuel and David and Saul, and we're getting ready to come to a really big moment in the story. It's the time that Saul's kingship comes to an end, and David moves a big step closer to finally becoming king. So remember that he, David, has been anointed. He has been an anointed king for a long time. But now he's actually going to step into that role soon as the king of Israel. So now the transition happens between Saul and David when Saul dies in the battle, right? Uh, But when David hears that news, he doesn't have the reaction that I would have, that I would have expected him to have in that situation. And it it is his unexpected response to the news of Saul's death that I think you and I can learn a lot from, okay? So here's how it happens. There's this big battle between the Philistines and the Israelites, and, and as, an, as an interesting side note, the, the Bible doesn't give a lot of detail. Um, it doesn't give a lot of attention to the actual battle. You don't find out who punched who or who drove a sword through who or who the valiant heroes were. You don't find any about, and there were no details of that. Um, that's not the author's interest in, in conveying to us. The author doesn't focus on the fighting, but on how the battle moves God's plan forward. And, and make no mistake about it, we've known for a while that God's plan is for David to replace Saul as king. So in the course of the fighting uh, with the Philistines, Saul's son Jonathan, David's great friend, he died. And then, knowing the enemy is closing in on him, on Saul, and that he's all alone, Saul takes his own life. And in Second Samuel chapter one, an Amalekite um, runs to David and his, and he runs to David and his men to tell them about Saul's death. And in order to make himself look good, this Amalekite, this unnamed Amalekite, he tells David that he helped kill Saul. And it's not too hard to figure out. I don't think it's too hard to figure out why this Amalekite does that, right? He thinks that he's going to get some kind of a reward uh, from David for, for helping to kill David's enemy. And, and you might think, you might think the same thing, right? Because Saul has been making David's life miserable for a long time. We've seen it all throughout First, first Samuel. He's attacked David. He's driven uh, him away from his family. He's separated him from his best friend, Jonathan. He's tried to kill him multiple times. So there's this sense that when David hears that Saul is dead, uh, this Amalekite thinks David is going to be really happy. Okay, He thinks David's going to be overjoyed. So the, uh, I'm probably pronouncing it wrong. I'm sorry. This Amalekite, he lies to David by saying, I helped, I helped kill him. And, and it seems a very reasonable conclusion to draw. I think many... I think many, even those in David's camp, uh, would have drawn the same conclusion that David would have celebrated when Saul, his, his chief tormentor, was pronounced dead. But that's not what happens. When they hear this news, 
here's, here's how David responds in verse 11 of 2 Samuel 1. Then David took hold of his clothes and tore them, and so did all the men who were with him. And they mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul and for Jonathan his son and for the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel because they had fallen by the sword. So David didn't celebrate. No, on the contrary, David mourned, and we find out why in verse 14. David asked the Amalekite who reported that he had helped kill Saul, he asked him, How is it you were not afraid to put out your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? He says to this Amalekite, you had the audacity to raise your hand against the Lord's anointed? David mourned instead of celebrating, and he he mourned because the Lord's anointed king had been killed. So there's three things that we need to discuss here that are relevant and applicable, I think, to us in our lives in this story. The first, the first is that David loved his enemy. Saul had attacked David, but David was gracious. David spared Saul's life on two separate occasions. When David easily had the opportunity to, to kill Saul, he had, this, he had this sense that my responsibility is to love my enemy. Um, now, we can hear Jesus say, love your enemy, and, and that's something that everybody can appreciate and I think respect about Jesus. The love your enemy approach has an attractive quality about it, but guys, it's hard to do. That's hard. That's not easy to do. It seems nice, but it's hard to do. So can you imagine in David's situation, Saul, like, like we've already said, he has driven him away from his friends and driven David away from his friends and family. He's on the run for his life. And yet David loves even the one who is trying to kill him. So the question is, who is it in your life that God is calling you to to love, even though they oppose you, even though they gossip about you, maybe even though they are your rival at work or in school or on a on a team? Who is it that is your enemy that you are called to love by God? Secondly, Romans 12 says, it says in verse 19, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. In other words, we do not have the right to take things into our own hands and to exact vengeance on other people. But instead, we entrust that to God. Uh, Vengeance belongs to God. And so David here, he refuses to take matters into his own hands when he had the opportunity to kill Saul. Instead, he entrusts that to God. He entrusts, entrusts his life and Saul's life to God and has this sense of hope that maybe Saul will come to his senses. Maybe Saul will change his mind. Um, maybe Saul will repent and get on track with God's plan. But vengeance is mine, declares the Lord, not ours. David doesn't take that right into his own hands, and neither should we. Third, David respected the one God placed in leadership, even when that leader wasn't the kind of leader God wanted him to be. David says, look, Saul is God's anointed king. He's God's leader, even when I don't like what, what he's doing. Even though, when he's doing it, even though when what he's doing is out of line with God's word, he is still God's leader. There's a sense in which David is willing to submit to Saul because that's that's the person that God has chosen to be the king of Israel at that time. Now, I'm going to do something rare here. 
This is a rare exception to my no quarter policy. Okay, I'm gonna explain. Now, I don't, I don't do this often, like I said, but this third point, uh, I, need, I need to qualify this third point briefly with an extra statement. The Reformed Presbyterians, they have a thing that I think is neat in, in November that they call No Quarter November. And it's where their preachers don't qualify or explain anything they say, and they expect that if you don't fully get it or disagree with a statement, then it is your responsibility to open your Bible and learn it yourself. And I've often said here, uh, kind of like what we were talking about with, with your Bible reading, I've said in this gathering that I have a no quarter policy all year round because I simply don't have the time to explain every little statement I make up here. And, and, and that is, it is your responsibility to open your Bible or come to me if you need further explanation. So in this third point, of respecting our leaders, we need to remember that that David loved and respected Saul, okay? But he still ran away from him. He David never put himself willingly in in uh, in harm in the way of Saul's harm, right? To, even though he respected and loved him as God's anointed, we do need to respect and submit to our leaders. But too many Christian leaders failed us three years ago. And, and they disguised their cowardice behind Romans chapter 13. They closed their church door, doors and they said, go harm yourselves with masks and chemicals in your body because the Bible says to submit to me and I submit to the government. So they hid behind Romans 13. And they, and they disguised their cowardice as, as such, like I said. That is not what the Bible teaches us in context. Do not take this point of respecting and submitting to God's appointed authorities to mean that we place ourselves in harm's way. Okay, that's not what that means. Jesus never taught a gospel of self-harm. And even David ran away from Saul. Okay, the one he respected, it was the one he respected and the one he submitted to, he ran away from him. Even Peter left prison after being told not to speak of Jesus and instead declared Jesus until his death, even though his authority said not to do that, right? Even uh, even Paul was beaten to within an inch of his life multiple times because the leaders he submitted to and respected said, don't declare Jesus, and he still did, right? So this, this, this third point needs that qualification. That's it. <laughs> Having said that and given you this rare exception to my no-quarter policy <laughs> and qualifying one of my statements, is there someone in your life that God has put into, into authority over you um, that you need to respect even though you don't feel they deserve it. Even if you don't always like the way they handle themselves or the way they lead, um, maybe it's a boss who's who is just too demanding. Maybe it's a parent who you think is too strict, right? Uh, more strict than they should be. The, the, the point is sometimes God puts people into uh, people of authority in our lives who we need to be respectful of and submit to because he is trying, God is trying to teach us something that is very valuable. David's response is really unexpected, the unexpected in this story. His enemy dies, Saul dies, the rival to the throne dies, the, the one that's standing in the way of his progress and his movement up the career ladder, he dies. But David doesn't celebrate because this person is made in God's image. This is a person God loves. This is a person that God had anointed his king over Israel. So this was a time 
to mourn and to grieve. There's so much that we can learn from David's unexpected response. Let's remember these three things this, this week specifically. David loved his enemies. He loved his enemy. We entrust vengeance to the Lord. And David respected the one God placed into leadership. Thank you for listening to the Alan Wright Sermons podcast. We hope you'll join us next time. God bless you and have a wonderful week.